you have your Bible and want to go ahead and turn over to John chapter 4, we'll be there in just a, a second. But I want to pray first and approach his study of the Lord would, would give us his help this morning as we approach his study of his word together. Father, we are thankful that we come together this morning to unite our hearts and unite our voices by your spirit to, to worship you. And Lord, we ask that you would give us a great vision of who you are, whether it be like Isaiah in the temple that we see you high and lifted up, or like John on the Isle of Patmos, where when he was confronted with your presence, he would, would just fall at your feet as, as, as a dead man. Lord, that we would experience your presence through the truth of your word and by your spirit. She would help me to speak correctly. You would help us to hear correctly, not only with our ears, but with our hearts. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. John chapter 4, you'll recognize, is the familiar story of Jesus and the woman of Samaria. We know that the text tells us that Jesus was on a journey from Judea to Galilee. And the text tells us that he needed to or that he must go through Samaria. Why? Because God had an encounter for him with a woman. About noontime, he's there at the well and he's thirsty. And a woman comes up and he asks the woman for a drink. Jesus, in the conversation, offers the woman living water. Not water from the well, but water from a well that would never run dry, if you're familiar with the song. Jesus gives her the words of truth. Go and call your husband and come back. And and she says, I have no husband. And Jesus knows all about her. And she knew that this man must be more than a prophet but could he be the Messiah and then in the verses we'll read this morning the conversation turns sharply from her life experiences to worship if you'll join me there we'll begin reading in verse number 20 and read through verse 26 but I do encourage you if you have time to read the entire chapter on your own Starting at verse 19, excuse me, the woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know the Messiah is coming. He who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. 
Let me just start by asking you a couple of questions this morning. What does true worship look like? Or to phrase it another way, how do you know if you were worshiping God in the right way? Now, some places you go, some congregations, it's, it's all about truth. And truth is pounded, lecterns are, are beat upon, and truth is hammered home. And you would see those places and you would think that's, it's rigid, it's cold, it's lifeless. There's this lack of emotion, there, there's no joy, there's, there's no expression. And if you didn't know better, you might think that you were in a funeral home instead of a church. But you go other places and it's all about spirit. It's free, it's full of life, it's warm feeling. The air is filled with emotion, there's excitement, there's free expression. And in those instances, what you encounter may look more like a concert or may appear to be more like a circus than a church. In the first half or middle of the 20th century, A.W. Tozer said these two words about worship. First, you can be as straight as a gun barrel theologically and as empty as one spiritually. The all truth side. Or sometimes worship is no longer worship when it reflects the culture around us more than the Christ that is within us. The all spirit side. And we see that the idea that we want to get to is that true worship that God accepts is both spirit and truth. Each is vitally important. You can't ignore one or the other. And the challenge we have in our our worship, our daily lives, is to have this balance between spirit and truth. And the reality is we can't do that apart from God's help. And God gives us the help through the indwelling Holy Spirit. And so what I want to propose to you this morning simply is to worship God acceptably. You must have the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit. So if we want to worship God in the right way, if we want to practice true worship, then what we must have is the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit, which we said for the last several weeks only comes to those who are born again, those who have faith in Christ. Now in the context of this conversation, when Jesus turns up the heat, if you will, and asks the woman to go and get her husband, and she says... I have no husband. And he says, you know, I know that's right. And begins to recount her history that only God could know because he hadn't revealed it to anyone else. The woman turns this conversation and whether she's doing it to get away from an uncomfortable situation or whether or not she's recognized someone that she sees as a prophet, we really don't know. But what we do know is that the topic that they begin discuss, to discuss is where people ought to worship. Or to rephrase it, how are we to properly worship? And so in the time we have this morning, I want to answer this question by considering the person of worship, the place of worship, and the practice of worship. So first of all, let's look at the person of worship. The person of worship. True statement, God is the only one we worship. We are created beings that we were created to worship and left to ourselves we will worship something 
We will worship ourselves. We'll worship our job. We'll worship other people. We'll worship a stick we find in the woods or a rock. But God created us for a unique and special purpose, and that was to worship him and to worship him alone. That is, he reveals himself to us through his creation, through revelation from God's word, conviction by the Spirit, that God is calling people to himself to be worshipers. And so a very simple definition of worship, again from A.W. Tozer, is this, is worship is a meeting where the only attraction is God. I love that. It's a meeting where the only attraction is God. So true worship is always focused on God. It can't be man-focused. That means our, our preferences, the things that we like and the things that we maybe don't like, have to take second chair or maybe even further down the line. Because the ultimate goal is not to please ourselves or not please the people around us, but it's to please God and please God alone. And it's ultimately only His opinion that matters. It's freeing in life. If we could get to the point where we see that the only thing that matters is, do I please my God at the end of the day? It frees us from fear. It frees us from shame. It frees us from doubt. It frees us from lack of self-confidence. It frees us to be who God created us to be when we can see that the only person we have to please, first and foremost, is God and God alone. But if we do that, we see that God will help us in all of our relationships. That if we seek to please God in everything, then all of a sudden our marriage relationship grows and blossoms. Our relationship with our children grows and blossoms. Our relationship at work with our with our boss or our co-workers, maybe that we like them, maybe we don't, it grows and flourishes when we seek to please God. That's why Paul encouraged us to do everything we do to the glory of God. God. And we focus on Him and everything falls into place. And we focus on His attributes, what the Bible tells us He is, that He's holy. And so because He's holy, we sing holy, holy, holy. And when we're confronted with His holiness, we see our sin. We see our brokenness and we call out to Him and we seek His forgiveness and His cleansing. Because God is merciful, we're Draw to Him because we are desperately in need of mercy. And we praise God that He renews those mercies in us every day. We worship God because He's mighty, that that in our weakness we cry out to Him for strength. And His strength is made perfect in us and He lifts us up on His wings like eagles. And we can run and not grow weary, we can walk and not be faint. He's gracious and He's loving. And so we sing of his love, we sing about his love, we thank him for his love and his grace. Theologian Don Carson said this, Worship goes beyond simply knowing what God is like. It means that we take delight in the perfection of his attributes. Do you catch the difference between knowing what God is like and enjoying the attributes Okay, let's just look at it this way. You can read the ingredients on a a carton of Bluebell ice cream, licked or unlicked, however you you choose. Um, You can read those ingredients and you can know what the ingredients are. But when do you know what it tastes like? When you open it, you take a scoop and you experience it. And a lot of us, we, we know because we've been in church a long time, we know God's attributes. 
But we only take delight in them when we experience them. When we allow him to wash over us with his mercy and grace and love. And we take time and we can't help but cry out to him. And at the center of worship, there are these truths that that God is worthy and that we're needy. God's God, we're not. He's got everything we need. We've got nothing he wants, but he loves us anyway. Well, the only thing he wants is us. And we can praise God because he, and we fill in the blank. We praise God because he's holy. We praise God because he's loving. We praise God because he's sovereign and we can go on and on. Or we say we worship the Lord because he's the one true God and we fill in those blanks. And God is unique in his person. He's unique in his character. And our worship must fall in accordance with that. But Jesus says, interestingly, to the Samaritan woman that God is spirit. It's there in verse 24. God is spirit and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. That's our governing truth for what we're looking at. That because God is spirit, the only way we can worship him rightly is in spirit and in truth. Why? Because God's essential nature is spirit. Even though the Bible tells us, you know, explains God with human attributes. It talks about his hand at work. It talks about a mind that God doesn't have a human body that we we know of. He's not visible to our eyes. He's not confined to a space. He's unknowable apart from the revelation that he provides. But praise God that he chooses to reveal himself to us in everything around us. He's living, but he's not a physical being and he's the one who gives life. And so if that's true, then we can't relate to God on on physical terms. We can't impress him by by waving our arms or jumping up and down our outward forms of worship. But our worship has to conform to his nature, who he is. And so God, since he is spirit, our worship has to be spiritual. So what does spiritual worship look like? Well, it's what we were created for. It's what we're called to do in Christ. and It's what believers will do for all of eternity. To make much of God because he is worthy of our praise. To enjoy his presence, to delight in him. To take the truth of Deuteronomy 6.5 to our hearts that we would love the Lord our God with all our heart, all our soul, all our mind, and all our strength. And that we would give everything that we are, our very hearts to God for who he is. So when we come to Romans 12, chapter 1, after 11 chapters of doctrine, of theology, of glorious truth, when Paul proclaims, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to do what? Present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Spiritual worship is offering everything you are as a living sacrifice to the one true God. It's your spiritual worship. Where can you offer spiritual worship? Does it matter where I worship? Well, that's exactly the question the woman is asking Jesus. And it brings us to the second point, the place of worship. Where should people worship? Should it be a church building? Should we have to go to a cathedral 
Does it have to be a sanctuary or, or some designated holy place? Or could it be a shade tree? A mountain? Your dining room table? Or even a prison? Jesus answers the question for the Samaritan woman, and we get to hear the answer. Verses 19 and 20, the woman says her question, Sir, I perceive you're a prophet. So she knows at this point that he's more than just a man, because he knows things about her that there's no way he could have known. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is a place where people ought to worship. And so here's the question she poses. Man at the well, should we worship at Jerusalem, or should we worship in Mount Gerizim? Two different places of worship. The Jews would, would say wholeheartedly that it's Jerusalem. It's indicated there because she says, you say that it, in Jerusalem. The Jews had received the revelation from God. They had the privilege of all of the Old Testament. And their worship was in accordance to God's word, even though it was ritualistic. They were going through the motions, and for the most part, it was lifeless. The Samaritans, on the other hand, reflected in her words, Our fathers worshipped on this mountain. Jesus is in Samaria. The mountain she's referring to is Mount Gerizim. You may remember Deuteronomy chapter 12 is, tells us where the blessings and curse, the blessings were shouted. They were shouted from Mount Gerizim. It's where the Samaritans built their temple and they worshipped. It's interesting to note that the Samaritans only believe in the first five books of the Old Testament. So Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, full stop. Five books. And their translation is a little different. And so they've based their faith on this. And they're wholeheartedly, energetically worshiping God on the mountain of Gerizim in Samaria. And so Jesus, when he says you worship what you don't know, is pointing out the fact that they lack the full revelation of God's word, that they're worshiping out of, of ignorance, lack of knowledge. And what they were doing may be passionate, it may be sincere, it may be expressive, but it was lacking truth. And Jesus comes to the point of saying soon this argument's not going to matter. Because a day is coming, and it will be a day of change. Look at verse 21, where he says, Jesus said to her, woman, and just always remember that when Jesus says woman, it's, it's not a derogatory phrase. It's just a term of identification. Uh, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. See, with the coming of Christ, when he came to the earth, the place of worship would change. It would no longer be limited to the temple. That through his death, his burial, and his resurrection, there would be a change to worship. That temple worship in Jerusalem would become no more, and that Jesus himself would become the new temple. Destroy this temple, and I'll rebuild it again in three days. And to this day, all men come before God the Father through Jesus the Son and Jesus alone. The book of Hebrews beautifully pictures this. In Hebrews chapter 10, it tells us that what? We enter the holy place. We boldly approach the throne of grace with confidence. 
by the blood of Jesus and that He is the new and living way. And because of Jesus, because of what He did for us on the cross, we can joyfully sing songs like, To God be the glory. Great things He has done. So loved He the world that He gave us His Son, who yielded His life and atonement for sin, and opened the life gate that all may go in. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, let the earth hear His voice. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, oh let the people rejoice. Oh come to the Father through Jesus the Son. And give him the glory, great things he has done. You see, when we come to the Father through Jesus, the new living way, the place of worship is simply the place where you are. And that can be here this morning. It can be in a shade tree. It can be at your kitchen table. It can be in a prison. It can be in your car driving down a road. And so we can proclaim greatly like Spurgeon that every place is equally holy where holy men worship. It's not so much a holy place, it's a holy people gathered together that make a place holy. Which brings us to the last point. How do true worshipers, holy men and holy women worship? The practice of worship. Fortunately, Jesus doesn't leave us to guess or fill in the blanks for ourselves. He tells us, true worshipers of God will worship God in spirit and in truth. Spirit and truth joined together inseparably, like two sides of of a coin. They complement each other, they balance one another, and they don't contradict one another. That both are equal in their importance and you can't have one without the other. Look at verse 23 with me. But the hour is coming and now is here when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. Very similar time reference there. But the hour is coming all through the book of John when John writes about Jesus saying the hour is coming. He's talking about the time when Jesus would go to the cross. He would be crucified. He would be buried. He would rise again. The time is coming. But then he says, is now here? What does that mean? The time is coming and is now here. How can it be both and? I think what we have here, most people would agree, is... When he talks about the hour coming and be now here, he's talking about the period of time between his first coming and his second coming. That at the first coming, Jesus, the living word, was present on earth. He became flesh and dwelt among us. That he lived a perfect, sinless life. He died as a sacrifice for the sins of all men. He was buried in a tomb and he rose again and then he was ascended to the right hand of the Father. But we know that he promised that if he went away, he would come back in the same way and he's coming again. And so the other side of that is the second coming. That the ruling, reigning King of kings and Lord of lords, the exalted Christ, is going to return again in all of his glory. Amen? And while we wait, and we're in that time of waiting, we have the promised helper, the Holy Spirit, The presence and power of Christ in us, 
the hope of glory in us. And God is looking, seeking for men and women who will worship him in spirit and in truth. Sounds good, but what does it mean? How do we worship in spirit? Two things. First, we worship God based on based upon spiritual realities, not outward activities. We said earlier that God is spirit. His nature is spiritual, and so our worship must be spiritual. And we saw how that was offering every bit of who we are to God for all that he is. And so we could say that the heart of worship is the heart. The very control center of who you are and who I am. It involves all of it, our affections, our expressions, our emotions. It's all of who we are. And our love for Jesus and our desire to give God all glory lead to expressions of worship, which at times can be emotional. What do I mean by that? It's, it's okay to get excited. It's okay to smile at church. It's even okay to move a little at church. It's okay to express yourself in worship. But we do need to be careful Because the external things we do won't lead us to true worship. It's always the internal attitude of our heart that expresses itself in worship. But also, we've got to be careful. We can't just go through the motions because that's not worship either. Walk in, sit down, open up my Bible, get out my bulletin, check mark, check mark, check mark. Walk out and think you've worshipped because you haven't. Jesus in Matthew 15 quoted Isaiah, the people honor me with their lips, but their heart is far away from me. And you can almost see it on someone's face. They're present physically, but everywhere else in their life, they're checked out. And you see that not only in church, you see it in life. You see people, men and and women that have checked out on their marriages, oh, they're there physically. But every, bit, every other part of them is already checked out. Students go to school. They're there physically because they have to. But their mind is far from it. And I'm not naive enough to think that men and women don't come to church very much the same way. Oh, I'm here. Because it looks good. It feels right. And I want to hedge my bets because, you know, there could be consequences if I don't do it. But my heart's not in it. And we have to be careful of that extreme. But we have to be careful of the other extreme, too. Because we we can't be striving to just create some sort of experience, worship experience. The staging that we have, the music that we play, the lights that we have or the lights that we don't have. It might be exciting and it might be entertaining, but it's not worship. I thought this was a good guiding statement. It was written by a man named Christopher Asmus. The posture and physical expression of true worship do not distract from God's glory. They display it. I think that's a good way. Does what I do in worship... Display God's glory in me, or is it a distraction from that? And if you let that be a rule, you know, then it's very helpful. 
But if it's not from the heart, it won't exalt Christ and it won't glorify God. God doesn't need a warm-up act. God doesn't need an opener. God doesn't need a cheerleader. God doesn't need somebody to come and pump up the crowds who are ready to worship. God is God alone, and we worship God because He is God and He is worthy of our praise. He deserves our attention. He desires our attention, our spirit, our heart, our soul, our mind, and our strength. But we can't do that by ourselves. There's too many distractions. There's too many things in our nature that would want to do our own thing. And so we need help. And so we worship God with the help of the Holy Spirit. That's how we worship in spirit. Because the Holy Spirit helps you and I keep our hearts in the right place. He's the helper because he reminds us of the truth of who God is. And he reminds us of the truth that we are. So there's revelation on this side, who God is, and there's conviction on this side, who you are. And so quickly, like those, those things on new cars that, that tell us, you know, when you swerve over too close, you know, it starts beeping because you're rumbling, because you're about to go out of your lane, or even the rumble strips on the side of the road. The Holy Spirit is like that. He helps us keep in our lane in life so that our attitudes, our actions, our hearts are tuned toward God. Now, we don't go in perfection. It's a continuous battle of of correction course correction get on track get off track get off track get on track but god through his holy spirit guides us into truth he gifts us with gifts that build up the body this morning if you feel unimportant let me tell you you are a gift to the body of Christ. If you are a believer in God has given you a gift that this church needs to build itself up so be encouraged in that. It's encouraging me to think that while God has high standards, if you thought about that, the standards that we, we read about in, in the Bible, that they're, they're, they're so high that they're not attainable. But at the same time, he provides the empowerment that we need to meet those standards. His standard of righteousness, we couldn't meet it our own, but he gives us the righteousness of Christ. And we stand and we worship and we walk and we serve, not in our own power or strength, but in the power that God gives us by His Spirit. And equally as encouraging is when we blow it, and we blow it often, at least I do, when we fall flat on our faces, His grace is sufficient. So Jesus says we have to worship in spirit, but He also says, and in truth. And the way that is formed in spirit and truth, they are linked together, that it's not... A both is separate, but they're both and. So truth, how do you worship in truth? I believe part of it is worshiping God for all of his attributes and all of his ways. Worshiping for the truth of who he is. What he reveals to us in his word. And what he has revealed to us in his son. The one who is the truth. The one who is the living word. And two things, I think, go along with that. First of all, the Bible is our guidebook for, for worship. It's not only instructions for life, but it's our guidebook for worship. 
Because if we see who God is, if we see who Jesus is, we can't help but worship. We read through the pages and we see how the saints of old worshipped God. We read encounters with God like the prophets. We read John's encounter with Jesus. We see the beauty of a woman falling at Jesus' feet and washing his feet with her, with her hair, pouring out a, a vial of expensive perfume. We see cautions and warnings about improper worship, all the way from Nadab and Abihu, strange fire, to the strange things that were going on in Corinthians. And then we have the Psalms. Oh, don't you love the Psalms? They're, they're, they're God's songbook of praise. There's a psalm that fits just about every emotion that you would be feeling. You hear God's, God's heart. You hear his, his passion and his love for us. You see his faithfulness. So we have God's word as our guidebook. But man, here's the best part. We have Jesus as our worship leader. If you have a second, turn over to Hebrews chapter 2. I want to read a couple of verses to you. Hebrews chapter 2, 11 and 12. We have Jesus as a worship leader. You can find it all through the book of Hebrews. It's beautiful. But in verse 11. For he who sanctifies, and those who are sanctified all have one source. That is why he is not ashamed to call them brothers saying, I will tell of your name to my brothers in the midst of your congregation. I will sing your praise. How beautiful is this? That Jesus, the one who is our great high priest, not only represents us before God, the one mediator between God and man, but he also reveals the wonders of God for us and he leads us in singing praises to God. The only man who ever walked in perfection, who could ever offer perfect praise to a holy God, sent his spirit to indwell in your life so that we have the opportunity to offer spiritual praise to God and truthful praise to God. Because spirit and truth go hand in hand, that God's truth moves our spirit to praise and worship God. And God's spirit aligns our lives with his truth. And they're inseparable. Adam Clark, the theologian, commentary writer from the 1800s, said it this way. A, man's worship, a man worships God in spirit when under the influence of the Holy Ghost, he brings all his affections, appetites, and desires to the throne of God. And he worships him in truth when every purpose and passion of his heart and when every act of his religious worship is guided and regulated by the word of God. To worship God acceptably, you must have the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit. So while we close, let me just try to answer this question. How in the world do you offer true worship? How do we offer true worship? First thing, you must be born again. If you want to offer true worship to the one true God, 
You must be born again. You have to be a believer. You have to be a Christian. You have to have placed your faith in Christ. If you haven't, today is the day of salvation. God is drawing from every tribe, nation, and tongue a group of worshipers that are going to stand or bow around the throne for all eternity and sing, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. And it starts by placing your faith in Jesus Christ. So you must be born again. You must choose to glorify God. It's a daily battle. Do I want to glorify God or do I want to glorify myself? Do I want to go God's way or do I want to go my way? Again, just like I said earlier with those correction lanes, it's just course correction after course correction. It's going over toward the side and get back in the road. Going off. Sometimes we go off in the ditch. God calls his record service, pulls us back in, straightens us out and gets us along the road if we confess and repent. But we have to choose to glorify God. God, I want to put you first in all things. Because worship is so much more than what we do on Sunday mornings, even though this is a beautiful gathering together of worshipers. It's the way that we live our lives. So we have to be born again. We have to be choose to glorify God, but we have to be filled with the Spirit. If you have your Bible open to Hebrews, if you flip just back a few pages to Ephesians chapter 5, because I don't think the verses are on the screen, but Ephesians chapter 5, verses 18 through 21. Paul says, don't get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. And listen to the result of that. Being filled with the Spirit, you address one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ and submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Being filled with God's Spirit leads to worship. There's so many things there that are, that are worship that we could unpack, but we don't have time to. And so we need that, but we also need truth. And so we have to fill our life with God's Word. So if you're there in Ephesians, just pass Philippians and go to Colossians chapter 3 and look at verses 16 and 17 with me. Not only do we need to be filled with the Spirit, but we have to fill our life with God's Word. Again, Paul's direction. Let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly. Teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. Singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. The Word of Christ dwell in you richly. As you abide in the Word of God, as you walk in the power of the Spirit of God, the result is God-centered, truth-honoring, Spirit-enabled worship. Because Jesus says the hour is coming and is now here when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. Will you pray with me?
Father, your word directs us that in order to worship you, to be a true worshiper, that we must worship you in spirit and in truth. And that you are seeking those types of men and women to worship you. And so on this day, in July, this morning, we bow ourselves before the authority of your word and the power of your spirit. And we ask you to mold us and make us into what we are not. To change us and to transform us. That this place would be filled with true worshipers. Men and women that are committed to Christ, that are committed to the glory of God, that are seeking to be filled with your spirit, and that are digging into your word and let your word just fill their lives. And Lord, we also ask even, even great beyond these walls that we could be a part in the, the harvest that your word says is ready. Because you are seeking such people to worship you. And we don't think that means you're just wanting us to, to have more people come to our church from another church. But we truly believe that you want to draw more men and women to yourself. That they would place their faith in Christ. And so our worship, our way of life would not just be the way that we glorify you with our, our praise. With our words. But it would also be through our actions. And that we would not just be worshipers in this place, but we would be worshipers in all that we do. And that when people see a difference, when people notice that we're just a little bit odd or a little bit strange, or there's a smile on our face when nobody else has one, that we would have opportunity to give an account for the hope that is in us. And that we would learn to worship you by telling other people about Jesus. And then we would see it's more than just telling ourselves about you. God, we thank you that you've given us your word and that you've given us your spirit. And that those two work together in all of our lives to mature us and to grow us up into who you want us to be. Help us to accept the truth, to receive it. Help us to yield ourselves to the power of your spirit that we would be changed and that you would be glorified. And we pray that in your name, Lord Jesus. Amen.